Hey, before we begin, just a couple of notes. First, this is a part two of the Where Are They Now series that started in episode 35. It doesn't really matter if you heard that show or not, so it's more like a new episode in the Where Are They Now extended universe than a direct sequel. But we are kind of jumping halfway into a recording, so we don't have that normal intro stuff that we usually do at the top of the show. Also, Evan's mic had some issues throughout the show, so rather than have him re-record what he said, I just used a text-to-speech website to replace some key words. I promise you won't notice at all. Finally, I'm going to do the Tweet of the Week here instead of jumping back at the end of the show. I know, it's weird and different, but we can get through this together. This week's Tweet of the Week goes to at LaTeXFB for providing video proof of Trent Taylor's extra point attempt against UTSA all those years ago. It's everything I remember it being and more. Now with all that out of the way, let's start the show. So we can go back around the horn, I guess. Evan, who's your player number two? Yeah, so we've covered um, a lot of male athletes for Tech. I wanted to to dip into some lady texters here. So anybody know anything at all about Pam Kelly? Uh, no. Is she no. the receptionist on The Office? Wow. <laughs> this no. one is is definitely not. Shout Pam Kelly was is from Columbia, Louisiana, and went to Tech starting in 1978 and playing for the Texters from the 78-79 season all the way through 1982. She was six foot zero, but she played center. So maybe a little bit of a different time. And she's actually hailed as one of the most dominant women's basketball players, not just for Tech, but for anyone uh, of all time. And so her stats and career are insanely ludicrous so i just wanted to uh to kind of play it out as a game here see how close you guys can get she played 153 games in four seasons which is a lot of games how many of those games did tech lose from 78 to 1982 10 <laughs> yes tech lost no. 10, 10 games <laughs> tech went 143 and 10 from 1978 to 1982 we're all going to be very sad by the end of this segment i think but how many of those 153 games did kelly score double figures in 10 also 10 140 no. yes 140 <laughs> yes <Christ. I'm> genius. <laughs> josh josh is cheating so the the texters for a very long time had the longest win streak um ever in women's basketball and i think even in college basketball generally till uconn broke it in the early 2000s uh how many games did the texters win in a row on the way to two straight national titles in 81 and 82 um 73 62 69 because that's in the middle 54 is the answer Mm. there so to this day pam kelly is the highest scoring lady texter in history how many points did she put up in four years it's higher than 10 i'll I'll take 10 off the board right now (laughs) oh dang Um, 6969 no what who's number do you have number two up just to give an idea of (laughs) no no, I don't have number two up right now. Sorry. 3,400. Because, I, yeah, I'm, I'm blindly guessing. Um, One dollar, Bob. <laughs> 2,979. Yeah, I mean, you're asking me to do math right now as I'm out. Yeah. Here. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> she she also sits atop the Texter's all-time list in which of these categories? Rebounds, field goals made, free throws made, free throws attempted. Uh, which of those? It's all it's of them. I won't even it's all of them. Yeah, right? it's all of them. All yeah. Of them. So she's the point leader and the rebound leader. Her rebounds, she has one thousand five hundred and eleven. So 
basically for every two points she scored, she had also had a rebound. She made almost 1,200 field goals, almost 600 free throws, and attempted uh, just under 1,000. All of those are still Texter records, and she played in the first 10 years of Tech having a women's basketball program. So it's pretty incredible. And my final question for you guys is, how many Final Four appearances did the Texters have with Kelly on the team? Four. Four. Yep, it's four. Yep. Ten. <laughs> uh, so, so they lost the 1979 National Championship game to Old Dominion, lost in the Final Yuck. Four to Old Dominion in 1980, Yuck. won the 1981 Championship game over Tennessee, and won the 1982 Championship game over Cheney State whoever they are. Anyway, so you guys get the point. Pam Kelly was an incredible player and she really might be one of the best all time in terms of women's college basketball. She dominated on the most dominant teams in Texter history. In her junior and senior seasons, the Texters won two national titles and went 69 and one. They lost one game. Um, Which we're glad they did. (laughs) Because they won 69, yes. Um, The only loss came to ODU. Uh, Damn it! Yeah, Old Dominion had our number there. Uh, She is and probably always will be the only three-time All-American in Texter history. And she also won the Wade and Broderick Award which are both different awards or were. I don't know if they still exist, but they were different awards for the MVP of women's basketball. She won those both in 1982. So after Kelly graduated uh, from Tech, unfortunately, there weren't really many options for her to go pro. There were a couple uh, leagues overseas, but she opted to stay in the U.S. uh, rather than explore her career over in Europe. She was inducted into the Louisiana Tech Hall of Fame in the inaugural 1984 class, where they also retired her number 41 jersey. She was also inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame in 92 and into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in 2007. Uh, In 2014, the Times-Picayune named her the 21st best athlete in Louisiana history. Pretty awesome, too. Yeah, pretty awesome. So although she wasn't able to continue her career in basketball, she did have two sons, uh, Nathan and John, who played. And so there's a really good article that I'll tweet out from 2010 when her son, John, was a senior at West Virginia playing uh, college ball. And it talks all about his relationship with his mom and growing up. And so Pam Kelly, her name's Pam Kelly Flowers now, but she played pickup ball with her sons and she would just absolutely destroy them, <laughs> which, which I find to be hilarious. So the article is about, you know, most people's moms wouldn't be able to beat them in basketball when they're like 12 and playing, you know, in all-star basketball leagues. But Pam Kelly was still like beating up on her kids. She said, quote, oh yeah, I beat them. I'd say, okay, we're playing to five. I'd get the ball, score five quick baskets, and never let them touch the ball. When they finally (laughs) figured out how to play, that's when I retired. (laughs) Like fucking goon. (laughs) So throughout the 90s and and early 2000s, she coached her son's peewee teams, and she built core fundamentals in them. Her son, John, recalled that at his high school games, she would be yelling box out, box out at every player, which led to John averaging a double-double every game his senior season of high school. And he had 13.2 rebounds per game. So uh, she really, you know, instilled that center mentality in him as well. So as I said, John went on to play college ball, in West Virginia, and they actually went to the final four in his senior season. And he has since played professionally in Japan, France, Germany, Venezuela, and now plays in Mexico in the Liga Nacional de Baloncesto Profesional for the Souls de Mexicali. So shout out John Flowers. Uh, you know, 
son of uh, Lady Texture great Pam Kelly. And she basically told him her advice to him was to never hang up until you can't play anymore because once you stop, you're done. So uh, it sounds like she maybe wishes she had the opportunity she would have now as a women's basketball player. Yeah, for sure. She would. She would have torn it up in the WNBA too. Absolutely. Uh, She was, again, she's regarded as one of the most dominant uh, women's basketball players of all time. So I found it really fascinating to learn about her. I love that she would just jock on her little kids. (laughs) (laughs) So that's Pam Kelly. Okay, so two more to go. One from from Matt, one from me. Matt, who's your second? Well, I wish I could play fanfare for the common man before I started this. Because this guy is a true... He might be my favorite tech athlete of all time. Simply because... His name is Matt. There's that. uh, But also because of his multifarious way. My second tech athlete is Matt Dunigan, who I have mentioned before on the podcast. Matt Dunigan, growing up, uh, played for Lake Highland out of Dallas, Texas. Had a fairly, fairly decent career there. Enrolled at La Tech in 1979 the year after la tech bumped up from division two to uh, division one double a which i think put us in fcs as the terms we would know it did not play terribly well his first year uh, at tech only played in eight games was not the starter but it sounds like if he came in for eight games that there was a lot of uh, chaos at the quarterback position in 1980 became the uh, full-time starter tech didn't really post respectable records during his uh, sophomore junior year uh, it wasn't until his senior year, Tech went 9-2 and two in the regular season. Matt threw 2,800 yards, 23 touchdowns, but 15 INTs. Went undefeated in the Southland Conference, number two ranking the country. Oh, wow. Yeah, and beat Western Illinois that year, another school that I attended. Beat them down in Ruston, and uh, on their way to the playoffs, beat South Carolina State 38-3. to I think we played South Carolina State on the day of yeah. my wedding <laughs> in yeah. 2016. Yeah. Yeah, and they had a player that I think the record for the oldest player to play in an FBS football game or something like that. I wonder oh, if no. you really would have been on that team. I wonder if that math works out. Interesting. <laughs> uh, but despite uh, curb stomping South Carolina State at home, the Bulldogs went on the road and Matt Dunigan and the Bulldogs were shut out by 7-0 in the semifinal. After completing his senior season, Matt Dunigan did not get any bites or any chance at the NFL. Can anybody guess why Matt Dunigan, much like Daniel Porter, did not get a lot of looks in the NFL? Was he short? He was. How short was he? Ten. Is he? How <laughs> short was he? Um, is he still alive? <laughs> I'm gonna say five eleven. Matt Dunigan is five foot nine. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> For a quarterback? For a quarterback. Holy crap! Matt that's Dunigan, incredible. Matt Dunigan is five foot nine, <laughs> and that's what they list him as in the <laughs> on the roster. Probably shorter than that. Uh, yeah, I, uh, wow. it definitely lists him as five foot 11, but from what I've read, it was, he is definitely five foot nine. <laughs> wow. I Google searched his name just to kind of pull up some pictures. Cause I was really curious what he looked like compared to all the other players on the field. Every throwing picture of him, it looks like he's jumping up while he's throwing. To yeah. Kind of get that height <laughs> advantage back. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a very short man. And it's funny because uh, Matt had a son who ended up playing football as well, who was six foot five. Oh wow! I don't know how that worked. <laughs> <laughs> so didn't get a lot of looks at by uh, anybody pros. So like Daniel Porter decided to go up north to the CFL 
uh, he went up to the CFL in 1983 and just like, I'm starting to get creeped up. Maybe Daniel Porter is Matt Dunigan's first son. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Matt Dunigan played for the Edmonton Eskimos in his rookie year, 1983. Backed up great Warren Moon. Oh, wow. CFL legend. Moon left for the Houston Oilers in 1984. Yeah. So it became uh, Matt's team at that point. Uh, led the Eskimos to back-to-back Grey Cup appearances in 1986 and 87, winning in 1987. Unfortunately, had to watch most of the game as a backup. He had injured himself mm. and did not play much in the 1987 game. This is where things get multifarious. So... <laughs> After winning the Great Cup in 1987, Dunigan tried to pursue a career in Major League Baseball and worked out with Scout from the California Angels and was hoping to catch on with the Montreal Expos, signed a Class A contract, but was released on the last day. Uh, so did not get to try his hand in baseball, which I'm not sure would have been much better for him. It doesn't really say what a position he was going for or anything, but either way, it didn't work out for him. So he went back to the CFL and went on to have CFL Hall of Fame career as a quarterback, go on to win one more Grey Cup in 1991 after posting a 13-5 and regular season record. Uh, he was able to uh, win the CFL Cup despite minus 19-degree weather, throwing two touchdown passes during that game. What? Minus yeah. 19? Minus 19 degrees. They have, yeah. It's got to be Celsius, right? But still. No, I don't think so. It looks like mine. I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming it's America because this is America. Uh, that would be, that would still be negative two degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, it's off. Celsius. It's, that's, it's very, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, but it's Canada. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Fahrenheit, negative 19. Uh, <laughs> they had a stack, like an insanely stacked team. I know some of these names might go over you guys' heads. I actually do know a little bit more about the CFL, pushes glasses further up Nosebridge. <laughs> and uh, that team that ended up winning that great cup had uh, Rocket Ishmael from Notre Dame, had uh, Pinball Clemens, who some consider to be the greatest CFL player born in the United States. They posted that 13-5 and record, had a first round bye, and advanced to the great cup. However, in the semifinal game against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Matt Dunigan broke his collarbone. Oof. Oh, man. And despite breaking his collarbone and only being able to throw the length of a hotel ballroom. After... <laughs> is that an official unit of measurement? In Canada, it is. <laughs> despite breaking his collarbone and only being able to rest it for a matter of only days and only being able to throw the length of the hotel ballroom, doctors were able to deaden his shoulder and he still threw two touchdown passes in a negative 19 degree gray cup and what? won the game. <laughs> Oh, you wow. know, it's about it's about a couple of couple of hotel ballrooms, you know. You sound Scottish. Yeah, you did sound like British <laughs> at first. Uh, Until the you know, which is famously Canadian. I said so, a boat. Come on, a boot. So, despite having a broken collarbone and a oh surgically a surgically repaired deadened shoulder from said <laughs> collarbone injury, but only being able to throw the football about what I would speculate is twenty yards. Still threw two touchdowns and won the Grey Cup in 1991. And again, had a CFL Hall of Fame career, was inducted Canadian Football Hall of Fame in 2006. Ended up only throwing for 303 touchdowns to 211 interceptions. Mind you, 
all while being five foot nine. Yeah. Uh, 1996 was his last season, just retired right after due to chronic head injuries, which is something that Dunigan has spoken out against in his post football career. He's had memory problems, speech difficulty, balance issues, memory loss. And uh, it's one of the reasons why he pulled his son out of football at such a young age after he himself had suffered several concussions. But Dunigan is now a regular contributor to uh, TSN's Canadian football coverage. Uh, he is is incredibly active on Twitter. He uh, did shout out the Bulldogs when they beat Miami uh, in the Independence Bowl this most recent bowl season. He has dabbled in coaching uh, a little bit. However, that has almost been entirely disastrous. Matt Dunigan is also, as Nathan pointed out previously, and as I YouTubed and laughed my ass off, on a dare in 2006, Matt auditioned <laughs> for the position as host of a barbecue television series on Food Network Canada called Road Grill <laughs> <laughs> and beat out several other potential people who auditioned. And uh, the show premiered in 2008, ran until 2011, he was a host and also became a cookbook author using recipes based on the show oh my um, god i mean he's from texas and louisiana yeah yeah and there are several clips of matt dunigan on said show road grill on food network canada on youtube and they are terrific between his sleeveless barbecue cook-off circle that he gets in in one episode <laughs> to the incredible intro to the show it is it is truly a sight to behold. So he was inducted into the Louisiana Tech University Athletic Hall of Fame in 2011, which no offense, Matt, I, I, I find a little insane because while he did have a pretty good senior campaign, he still only threw for 23 touchdowns, 59 tees. I know you can only really apply it to the time he played in. Things were a little bit different, but uh, he did lead a team that went 10 and three overall and went to the semifinal in the double A tournament his cfl career was a lot more remarkable in comparison and his road grill career is unmatched so yeah, yeah. i think that's why they inducted him right i think so road grill uh, yeah uh, and is still again to this very day a uh, sportscaster on tsn and covers uh, cfl games I did want to look up really quickly that 17 degrees, whether or not it was Fahrenheit or Celsius. It was Celsius, which is about one degree Fahrenheit, negative 17 Celsius. But windchill was negative 35 Celsius, <laughs> oh my uh, God, which is negative 31 dude. Fahrenheit. Jesus no God. wonder he was able to play with a dead shoulder. Couldn't feel anything. <laughs> What I just find bizarre is the fact that he played a week after breaking his freaking collarbone. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. I also see here one last thing about him throwing for 713 yards in a game. Correct. So it was an untelevised game, but there are highlights on uh, YouTube if anybody wants to check that out. Yeah. I Says it's a CFL records. record. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So, yeah, I will follow that very interesting career of a former tech player with a very interesting career of a former tech coach. Because my second player is not a player. It's Derek Dooley. Okay. Oh, no. So some background, because Dooley was before my time. Before Tech, Dooley was a position coach for Nick Saban at LSU and followed Saban to the Dolphins, which pro tip is not a smart move in retrospect. <laughs> he was then uh, poached away from the Miami Dolphins to become the head coach and later an athletic director for a year or two at Tech. He was a coach from 2007 to 2009. So he was then poached by Tennessee after a 4-8 and eight record for the Bulldogs in 2009. At Tennessee, he replaced, can you remember who? Yeah, was it? Yeah. 
Yeah, Lane Kiffin. To quote Wikipedia about Dooley's time at Tennessee, Dooley had a challenging three seasons at the, as the head coach of Tennessee. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. 2010, their record was 6-7 six and seven after a loss in the Music City Bowl, after they went 6-6 six and six in the regular season. In 2011, the next year, they got worse and finished 5-7. and seven. 2012, his season was cut short after starting 4-7, and seven, and I assume they only cut it short so he couldn't finish 2013 at 3-7 and seven somehow. <laughs> well, after his Tennessee stint, to continue this where are they now kind of getting a little closer in the future he kind of fell up again somehow and was hired as the wide receivers coach for the dallas cowboys entering the nfl coaching scene again a wikipedia quote that i can only assume this whole page is written by dooley himself Des Bryant, <laughs> only three career pro bowls were all while dooley was his wide receivers coach <laughs> okay Derek Dooley is the sole reason why Des Bryant is a household name, I think, is, is yeah, what this is getting so. at. Indeed. So after a few years as the Dallas Cowboys wide receivers coach, Dooley was hired as the offensive coordinator at Mizzou. He was there for 2018 and 2019. That 2018 offense was pretty good at first. They ranked 13th best offense in the nation in total offense, so yards gained. So not too bad, especially for a middle-of-the-pack SEC school. But 2019 ended at 93rd in total offense. Oof. And coupled with a host of problems at Mizzou, and one of the reasons why I wish Josh was still on the call and didn't drop was so that we get his reaction about the Missouri Tigers. But yeah, that was bad enough for the SEC powerhouse, in quotes, to clean shop, and Dooley was let go. A couple months ago, so after the 2019 season, the New York Giants announced that they had hired Derek Dooley to be a part of their coaching staff and the role yet to be determined, and we'll see if it ever will be. And Interesting. Hmm. So... When he was with the Cowboys, I just, I was watching like Monday night football or Sunday night football or something one time. And I just saw a dude wearing like bright ass, like blue, like Navy blue with bright blue plaid stripes on them. (laughs) And I was like, is that, is that Derek Dooley? And it was Derek Dooley. (laughs) That's when I learned with the Cowboys. Cause the last thing I had heard was that he got fired by, uh, by Tennessee. So yeah, Derek Dooley's tenure at, at tech was you know, I mean, respectable at least. Yeah, I mean, 2009 we, was not great, but we went back to a bowl game. It was just baffling to me that, and even still, like it's so funny to me how the young up and coming can get away with having a four and eight season. But if Skip goes four and eight this upcoming season, like he's not getting hired by anybody else ever again, right? Because yeah, he's and he's done nothing but win at Tech, right? But a guy that's you know 35 years old or however old he was when he was the head coach of Tech. Even if he has a terrible season, like it doesn't matter. He's still going to get poached by a really good program or a program that should be really good and historically is really good, but isn't anymore. I mean, it sounds like the same thing we had talked about in like NFL players, uh, Kenneth Dixon, for example. He's getting the age where he's no longer can be a, okay, well, maybe he'll turn into something at some point. And so even though he he still has the same skills he's had before and probably has only gotten a little bit better with, with age, although injuries have hampered him, at some point people will say, well, you're never going to become a superstar because you're just too old. At the same time, coaching is a lot different than playing and you can coach a lot longer than you can play. But right. yeah, there's, there's definitely some young up and comer you get by with quite a bit more. Well, like Seth Luttrell, Skip has been a much better coach than him for yeah. the last however long Seth Luttrell's been at North Texas, right? So it's just interesting how those things work. And hey, we'll benefit from it as long as we can, right? So yeah, so that was our where are they now segment. It's, yeah. it's kind of cool to see how where players go after they leave tech sometimes too. Yeah, and I, and I like, you know, getting some insight because I didn't know any either. You know, every time I look at the texters like all time lists, I 
never been like you're going in and out a lot oh sorry yeah. P- Pam Kelly's cool that was good just <laughs> what I was trying <laughs> to say that about wraps it up for this episode of the GoTech Please Don't Die podcast as always you can follow us on Twitter at G-O-T-E-C-H-P-L-S-D-N-T-D-I-E or you can go to our blog that's at gtpdd.dog and until next time I'm Nathan I'm Evan I'm Matt and, and I'm Josh time. yeah there we go because Josh <laughs> is not here anymore yeah and this is the sound of what would have been Josh <laughs> go tech please don't die please please been inducted into the uh i think i read on here i'm I'm starting to starting to embarrass myself a little bit here hold on a second i know i read it everyone just shut up (laughs) (laughs) i know i read it it said that he was inducted into some